global journalist, a program for journalists, by journalists, and about journalists, and the people who depend on our work. It's produced by the Missouri School of Journalism in collaboration with the Reynolds Journalism Institute and KBIA, Mid-Missouri's Public Radio. I'm Cassidy Arena. And I'm Tawny Wilson. In this episode of Global Journalist, we're talking about public health and the role investigative reporting can play in protecting it. We'll be hearing from and about Catalan Tolentan, a sports reporter. As in, someone who reports on sports did this. Whose investigative reporting exposed corruption that literally cost lives in his native Romania. But first, we'll talk to the filmmaker whose documentary about the scandal and Tolentan's role in exposing it drew big crowds and strong responses at the 2020 True-False Film Festival here in Columbia, Missouri. The three showings of the movie at True-False were sponsored by MU's Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy, which we think says a lot about the role watchdog journalism plays in preserving freedom and the health of our democracy. And speaking of public health, this podcast was produced during the COVID-19 pandemic. So if we sound a little different than usual, it's because many of our interviews had to be conducted over the video conferencing tool Zoom to maintain social distancing and keep us all safe. The protesting Romanians are shouting applause for the journalists who uncovered this story, along with the last name of a famous journalist, Catalan Polenton. So it starts from a fire uh, that uh, erupted in a club in Bucharest, end of 2015. That's Alexander Nanau. He's a movie director and he made a documentary film about an investigative journalist uncovering the wrongdoings in the Romanian healthcare system. It's called Collective. So our movie starts actually after the fire uh, when uh, 37 people started dying in hospitals that were not supposed to die. And um, it was what we call now a kind of a Romanian Chernobyl because the Romanian authorities um, manipulated and lied to the whole nation that they can treat burn patients, although Romania had no possibilities to treat burn patients, and they refused to fly out these burn patients. Nano says there were around 180 burn victims who could not fly out of the country for treatment. They began to die from infection and the onset of bacteria due to poor health care. Kathy Kiley, the Lee Hills Chair in Free Press Studies at the Missouri School of Journalism, interviewed him in the studios of KBIA while he was at the True False Film Festival in Columbia, Missouri. So the scandal here was, uh, or at least the, the scandal that your movie is about, is not the fire itself, but the aftermath. Right. It's about the aftermath and about how journalists, investigative journalists, really uncover all the lies and ma- manipulation of the, of the healthcare system. So, is there a hero? Nanao says he's not a journalist. He's a storyteller who's curious about the way journalists do things and how we do them. He says he's not the superhero here. He just observed the risks reporters take to help people know the truth. One of the main heroes in Nanao's movie was actually the investigative journalist who covered the story. As a matter of fact, actually, the, the journalist that should have taken care of the healthcare system failed in Romania after the fire. They were not, not able to disclose the manipulation. Uh, and it was uh, a team around Catalin Tolontan from a sports newspaper. So it was the Sports Gazette. 
Uh, and Catalin Tolentan and his, and his team, Mirella Nag and Razvan Lutsak, who was 21 by the time, I think. A sports reporter, it sounds crazy, we know. But Nanao said there were journalists who might have expected to jump in on this story didn't, because they were in pay of Romanian oligarchs who are part of the corrupt social structure. Yeah, the, tr- the trust in the press in Romania um, is quite vulnerable, or was at the time even more vulnerable, because um, many journalists work for media outlets that belong to moguls, that are quite close to the power. It's enough to make any journalist paranoid, and Catalan Tolentan's team was. At first, they suspected Nanao of being a spy. Funnily enough, they even saw the, I, I just read an interview that was given by Mirela Nag, the, the women uh, journalist in Catalan's team. And she said, you know, in the beginning we were laughing because we thought, man, the Secret Service got really interesting ways of infiltrating, you know, uh, uh, different fields, like sending now a director, that's new. While they may not be the Secret Service, journalists do share similar traits. They dig into information to uncover the truth. This time I wanted to really understand what it means what the journalistic work means uh, from the moment the journalist gets his information to the, you know, to the, when he starts checking on the information, when he meets whistleblowers at night uh, or in secret. Uh, so I wanted to just understand the whole process of how a journalist gets the information until the moment he puts it into text and it gets printed on paper. And that's what I try to do with the film, to really make it clear for a viewer what a complex um, process that is and also what a big um, uh, what a big resp- responsibility lies actually on the so- shoulders of a journalist when he gets an information that is so heavy and so important for a whole society. But sometimes Nanao talked about how that integral role in society, ironically, can actually be pretty dangerous to perform. Do you feel the journalists you depicted are in any danger? Um, they are, but in the same way. I mean, they are, let's say, there are threats like a car uh, accelerating too fast next to their kids or, you know, things like that, or ca- cars following them, trying to intimidate them. But I think, as I said, it's still a, a European Union country and... Um, we are not living times like in Russia where, I mean, in Russia, as we know, a filmmaker like me would be in jail. But it's not Russia, fortunately. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think in the European Union, we can still, you know, do our job and tell stories, filmmakers and journalists, without being menaced. Do you feel that um, that could change? The world we're living in is very... It changes very fast, and the fact that our democracies are all taken over by by populists that every time give the signal out to everybody that anything is allowed, that law is not something we have to abide to, uh, I think that, yes, it can change, and uh, all our lives are threatened in a way by by, uh, leaders, let's say, or governments that... 
um, you know, give out the signal that law is not something our, you know, we have to follow. And that if you know how and if you're powerful, anything is allowed. And that's something we feel in a lot of liberal democracies. You called the movie Collective. Why did you call it that? Mm. It was a very strange coincidence that the club that burned down was called Collective. Uh, and for us, the title, we, we also write it with a, with a small C in Romanian, which means the collective. It's not a name, uh, but the collective. It, we're all in it together, in a way. It's whether we take our community, our society in our own hands and confront the power that is trying to destroy it. Um, or we're doomed, you know, yeah. listening to this special episode of Global Journalists. I'm Cassidy Arena here with Tani Wilson. We're about to talk to producer Sam Wagand about her interview with investigative journalist Catalin Tolentan. Sam interviewed Catalin over Zoom while she and I were in Columbia, Missouri. Catalin was in Romania and our interpreter was in Moldova. Catalan can speak some English, but we thought we'd be able to get a better interview with the help from Dima Stoyanov, our translator, who is also an investigative journalist. Dima spent part of last year at Mizzou and part at the newsroom of ProPublica in New York City on an Alfred Friendly Fellowship. He was pretty excited when we told him about this episode. He's not just a sports journalist, he's a superstar of Romanian sports media, actually. Here's Sam and Cassidy with the highlights of the interview. So Sam, what was Catalan's first impression of Alexander Nanau? Well, when Catalan was first approached by Alexander Nanau and his team, he thought they were crazy. <laughs> he was very skeptical and thought it would be insane to bring cameras and microphones and everything into his work. This is impossible. But after some weeks, we are thinking about their proposal. And I think that I'm an old guy in a journalist terms, yes, because I'm working for a newspaper, for a print newspaper, and our work is reachable by some generations, but are not so appealing for the young generation. But after some consideration, Catalan thought that the documentary would help engage people more broadly, and it worked. Catalan went from receiving 40 tips a day to more than 100 after the film aired in Romania. He says the film was an excellent and much needed. However, he describes Alexander as an artist rather than a journalist, which is an important distinction. If you are a journalist, your target, your, your goal is not to change the world. If you are a journalist, you are not involved in a political uh, movement. Even if you are against dictatorship, you have a duty to remain in between. What was your first impression of Catalan? He's a surprising character. Um, within his career, he went from being a sports journalist to an investigative savant. Uh, he takes risks and stands by them, 
But my first impression of Catalan was his selflessness of his work. Um, you know, he's won 10 Journalist of the Year awards in the past 12 years, which might get to the head of any journalist, but fame didn't seem to influence his work at all. In fact, he described fame and popularity as the antithesis of his motivation. He said that every journalist's goal is to be the first to break a story that can change the world. However, ego is what destroys journalists. So a journalist's own ego is one of the biggest risks that he or she faces, but were there any other risks that Catalan talked about with you? So Romania ended its communist period in 1989. However, the country has been plagued by corruption and revolving door governments despite becoming a representative and democratic republic. Catalan says that dark money and power and even the mob are in the center of Romanian sports because there's so much public money there. And when you go poking around in those areas, he said it's normal to operate under government pressure, especially when the government finds themselves at the wrong side of the story. But the number one obstacle to an investigation is fear of opposition. And in a country that's so polarized by politics, it's important that you stay dedicated to the public and unbiased. Otherwise, you're just working for popularity's sake. This is a public information. And a public information means literally it's not our information. We only found it. We are not the, the owner of the, of the information. And because we are not the owner, we have to, to give to the or, original owner. And the original owner is the public. It's so simple. Certain news outlets can be an echo chamber of ideas. And depending on your personal beliefs, you might watch CNN or Fox. But Catalina said the advantage of being a sports journalist is that they have an unpolarized audience base. You know, everyone watches ESPN regardless of which other news outlets they go to for information. The other advantage is like this. If you are a, a sport uh, newspaper, your public is not so, so cynical. You have trust engagement with the public. You are uh, perceived like a nonpartisan newspaper, which is a huge advantage. And so with balancing all of those things that you just talked about, how on earth did he make sure that all of this information was actually factual and there was nobody just pulling his leg or trying to lie to him? He said there was a lot of doubt. Um, sources would give him contradictory information, but in interviews, he would have people explain their answers as though they were fourth graders. And uh, that kind of breaks down the complex ideas and allows for greater transparency. You'll know if you ever tried to explain something to a child, it's very easy to lead on more than you're supposed to, and then you fall back on the old, because I said so. Um, but that just wouldn't hold up, so they knew where to keep looking. There were some internal debates, though, within his team that questioned uh, what information they use and when they should use it, so finding a balance between getting public information they needed to know and maintaining its accuracy is difficult to find. Um, especially when the stakes were so high in this investigation. I would just imagine, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm pretty sure some people weren't very happy with what Catalan's team was doing in the investigation. Uh, what happened in that sense? Well, political polarization is common in many countries, especially in a country with as much political turmoil as Romania. So when Romania's government found themselves at the wrong side of this investigation, there was a lot of supporters that were quite angry of how the government was being portrayed. 
Catalan said threats are normal and with the anonymity of the internet, it can happen often. However, the biggest threat to journalism isn't what's written online, but how what is written influences his work. It's easy to write things that people want to read, but it's much harder to do it when people keep telling you not to. <laughs> In that respect, I guess Catalan said it's important to maintain an objective field of vision with social media. So in investigative journalism, you simply can't be popular with everyone, otherwise you wouldn't be investigating much. So that's kind of what Nanao's film really captured. It, it increased the attention on Catalan and his team, but what did the film do for overall investigative journalism? The beautiful thing about documentaries is its synopsis of events. Catalan's investigation took years and incorporated hundreds if not thousands of detailed reports. But the documentary takes a reflective approach and really decisively points out to the importance of the investigation. It points to government transparency, public health, institutional injustice, which are all matters that can be understood on a much wider scale than just the diluted disinfectant in Romanian hospitals. And in a world that's all sharing in the fear of the coronavirus, Catalan believes everyone should be feeling a similar degree of concern regarding the state of the healthcare system. So we'll talk about how Catalan's team actually changed themselves in a second, but what did Catalan have to say about just the future of journalism in general? Where did he see it going? Catalan says he believes the future of journalism relies on having a representative and diverse coverage. The world we live in today has become so globalized that we need to respect and understand that any action can have implications for so many other people. And we need the field of journalism to have a collection of diverse voices to hear from. He said that he believes that a big problem that we need to face is the salary for a journalist. For my peers and I, a low salary is something that we're willing to settle with because of our love for the job. But it's populations of people that can't afford to settle that need to be heard most. Did he have any advice for us journalists going into our careers? When I asked him about this, he said he was both honored and afraid of the question. <laughs> His answer was to be curious and to be humble. He said the worst thing we can do is work by means of being popular. It's our responsibility as journalists to maintain trust, and feeding into what people want to hear is not a good way to do that. He says that everyone wants to change the world, to be the first to break a story, or to be the best in the field. But he encourages journalists to remember that their role is not to be the hero, but to serve the real heroes by giving them the best information possible. And I think by doing this, we can change the world. I think it's a very good lesson for, uh, for us. We are, we are just gatekeepers. This is fine <laughs> to be like this. So moving on to Catalan's own future, what's in store for him? Well, Catalan's paper, The Sports Gazette, was bought by a Swiss company by the name of Renier two years ago. Um, and this company is investing in the paper's investigative journalism. So that's really good news, especially in a time when so many outlets are pulling away from investigative work because of all the time and energy required to do it well. He says that this acquisition has and will provide a great deal of resources. However, this doesn't matter as much as one might think when it comes to his work. He says that the public always gives editorial independence. Ownership of the paper doesn't change who he works for. He says that the people give him his license and his motivation to discover the truth.
We're nearing the end of this special segment of Global Journalists Now. I'm Tawny Wilson here with Cassidy Arena. We've heard about investigative journalists and the artists who use them as subjects. Sam talked about the product investigative journalists create, but now we want to talk about how that product affects us and the rest of society. For that, Cassidy and I spoke with Damon Kiso. He's the Knight Chair in Digital Editing and Producing at the University of Missouri School of Journalism in Columbia. He's basically a professor for the journalism profession. He talked with us not only about journalism as a business, but also as a public good. Journalism as a product is a public good. I think we would agree, especially these days. It's something that people need to have, they need to share, they need to make use of in their daily lives. But we typically haven't treated journalism as a business in that sense, which is which kind of led us uh, a little bit down this garden path of the market is failing journalism in terms of revenues coming in from advertising or subscriptions aren't currently meeting the, the needs of having an ongoing operation in many places. So we've traditionally treated it as a business, but the whole time it really was a public good or something closer to a public good than a commodity. So then what are some of the factors that go into solving this failure, as you mentioned? I mean, I think we have to first admit, and we haven't really fully admitted, that it is a public good. And it, that doesn't mean a media organization can't be run as a profitable enterprise. It doesn't need to be nonprofit or, or grant supported. But we just have to recognize that the market isn't always going to support it in the way it necessarily had back in the day when newspapers specifically had, you know, monopolies or semi-monopolies on information in a, in a given market or community. Journalism as a public good. That means journalism is basically a commodity for the entire population, but someone needs to pay for it, which means we need investors. I think it's important to define investigative reporting broadly. The idea is just digging for information and finding stories that otherwise wouldn't be found. There's a broad definition you can use for investigative journalism, but in general, that kind of reporting is vitally important. That's Mark Horvitt. He's an investigative reporting professor at the University of Missouri-Columbia. He's worked in newsrooms for almost 20 years and has run entire investigative teams. He's also worked with Investigative Reporters and Editors, or IRE, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to helping investigative reporters. Tawny, with producer Mina Tian, had the chance to talk to him over Zoom about investigative reporting. Without journalists digging for the truth and looking into programs and looking into where money is spent and looking into human and civil rights, human rights issues, civil rights issues, justice issues, nobody else is going to do that. So investigative reporting is really important for the public, yet sometimes the public doesn't provide the funding for it. Professor Kiso analyzed the problem and offered possible solutions. It's really realizing that the market isn't always going to solve that problem. And if the problem as we've been approaching it is we do narrative journalism and we either sell it to advertisers in terms of attracting eyeballs of community, or we sell it to the community in terms of bundling and packaging the news for their convenience. If neither one of those or those combined isn't enough, that's a pretty typical public good problem because you have a diffusion of responsibility. Everyone wants to benefit from the good, but not everyone necessarily wants to pay for it directly. But also playing on the fact, and this is really the more important key, is really marketing and playing on the fact that journalism is a public good, 
communicating the value of that work in showing or proving to the community that you have their best interests at heart, which allows them or encourages that community to be more willing to either subscribe or become a member or support you in, in some other way. But you also need to make it possible for people to feel like they have an ownership stake in some sense or another in your success. This sounds a lot like we've been told before. Journalism is owned by the public. But Tony and I wanted to know if people care what kinds of journalists provide their information. In Collective, a sports reporter was actually the one who ended up breaking the story. And what do you think this says about like the nature of investigation and reporting in general and how it doesn't necessarily have to be an investigative reporter that is the one telling the world about these kind of issues? Absolutely. Some of the best investigative journalism is not done by somebody whose title is investigative. But oftentimes it comes from beaters or reporters who are already regularly covering an organization or an agency or region of the world. And they're the ones who often find out what's really going on and know what's happening and start digging. And so sometimes what you find is journalism that's not, it might actually come from rolling reporting, right? We found this, then we found this, then we found this from somebody who was on a beat. And before it's done, it's become a big investigation, but it didn't start that way. So there's, it's absolutely not necessary for somebody to have their job title labeled investigative reporter to do great investigative reporting. I also think it's important to know that there aren't any individual sections of a news organization that focus on this work. I don't think there are categories that matter, and I don't think there are job titles that matter. There are certain journalists who are sort of programmed to dig and to ask difficult questions and to look for more. And regardless of what your job title is, if you do that kind of work, what you end up doing typically becomes investigative. Interesting. So an expert investigative reporter doesn't think you have to be an expert to investigate. Yeah, it turns out some of the best investigations come out of old-fashioned beat reporting. But what does that mean for us? For the ones not currently investigative reporting or reporting at all? Funny, I asked Professor Horvath that exact question. What do you think are some of the um, benefits that we can get from doing things like that, bringing stories from across the world to home, even though the story might not necessarily pertain exactly to where we are here in Columbia? I think all stories everywhere pertain to people no matter where they are, right? One thing that does is broaden your understanding, not only of what's happening in other countries, but your understanding of sort of the human condition and the way people act. You can learn so much by an investigative work that's done in another country and apply those rules to something you're looking at in your own country. And like I said, every day things become less separate no matter where they are on the globe. Our economies are more interconnected as this coronavirus has shown. Everything's interconnected, right? Everything travels, everything crosses borders more and more things become international. So having an understanding of the way the world works and the way systems work in other countries can be beneficial, not just in understanding those countries, but in understanding your own and thinking about how issues that happen here might have reach or tentacles that go into other places. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap up this edition of Global Journalists. I'm Cassidy Arena. And I'm Tawny Wilson. Global Journalist is produced by the Missouri School of Journalism in collaboration with the Reynolds Journalism Institute and KBIA, Mid-Missouri's Public Radio. This whole program was created during the COVID-19 pandemic and produced almost entirely remotely during stay-at-home orders with the help from producers Samantha Wagan and Mina Tian and executive producer Kathy Kiley.
We'd also like to thank Dima Stoyanov, the translator for our interview with Catalan Tolentan, and Trevor Hook, the audio engineer for our interview with Alexander Nanau. Some of the music used on our program came from DeWolf Music. We appreciate you listening during this unusual time. Stay tuned for more episodes like this one by following us on social media at Global Journalist. That's it for this episode of Global Journalist. We hope you stay healthy and support journalism. Mm-hmm.